Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. Okay, to say that I am super pumped about this episode is way underestimating how excited I am. So I spent so much time in my life following just the crappiest diet trends. If there was bad advice out there, I knew about it and I followed it. Actually, sitting in front of me right now, I have this magazine. I couldn't help myself. Whenever I see it at the grocery store, I just I get red in the face. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you what magazine it is, but it's one of the things that I used to really rely on, and it just seemed so credible, even though the claims were wild. The way they formatted it made me think like this must be true. I want to read you the headline: The fat just falls off. Yale discovery. Fix the GI glitch that stalls fat burn after age 50. Drop 16 pounds in five days. Well, that sounds amazing, right? So you open up the article and the article is all about this diet that has you figuring out which foods you are sensitive to that are keeping you from losing weight. And it talks you through this doctor's book about how to do that. You should totally buy his book, right? That's what it is. It's not about calories. It's all about these certain foods and how you can figure them out. And you're going to need to buy his book to figure that out. So interestingly, they actually say multiple times, it's you don't have to cut your portions. It's not about the calories. Then in a box at the bottom, it details like what a sample day might look like. And interestingly, you want to know what's in that box? It is mostly lean protein and vegetables and fruit. Hmm. I wonder if that could have anything to do with it. I wonder if it could have anything to do with the fact that you totally just reduced your calories by switching your diet from who knows what kind of crappy food you were eating to this diet of whole, nutritious, not calorie-dense food. Could that have anything to do with it? Okay, so it's so hard to evaluate claims like this. I know, like I said, I was there. So with me today, I have Alyssa Olenek. Alyssa is a... PhD student at the University of Georgia. She already has her master's degree in exercise physiology. I stumbled across her somehow on Instagram. I don't know how, but I was really interested in how passionate she was talking about fitness influencers with their swipe videos and their half truths and their half naked bodies and their super sexy claims, their diet claims that sounded amazing, but were really just nonsense. And I thought, who is this woman? And so I reached out to her and started talking to her, invited her on the podcast. And today she's going to talk you through a couple really important things. First, we talk about some red flags. What can you look at and think that should be a sign to me that I should not listen to this person? We also talk about how can you evaluate a claim? If you read something, hear something, watch something, how can you know in your mind, mm, that's probably not valid? Or, hey, maybe that has some validity to it. And then she talks you through five questions you can ask yourself if you're thinking about trying a certain diet. So if you want to try keto or you want to try flexible dieting or you want to try Whole30 and you're thinking like, is this diet going to work for me? Instead of messaging Alyssa or messaging me, which of course you can always do, but she talks you through five questions you can ask yourself to figure out like, might this be a great diet to help me? Okay, let's get into it. As you can tell, I'm super pumped. Hello, and welcome to the Fitness Simplified Podcast. Today, I have with me Alyssa Olenek. Alyssa is an exercise physiologist. She has her master's degree in an exercise physiology. She is a PhD student currently studying at the University of Georgia, studying exercise physiology. She's also an online coach, um, and we're super excited to have you here. Welcome, Alyssa. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited for this. Awesome. So, you know, people might be wondering what on earth is an exercise physiologist? <laughs> Why don't you let them in on that? Yeah. So an exercise physiologist is basically just a really fancy way of saying you're an exercise scientist, more or less. So it's really just someone who's interested in researching, studying, applying um, the physiological aspects of exercise, exercise training, um, it goes all the way into nutrition and metabolism components of it. So basically how these things affect your physiology. So an easier way for people to understand it is I just study the science of exercise. 
Um, it's, a, it's a little bit easier to think of it like that, but really all exercise changes are physiologically driven. So that's kind of like what I like to nerd out about. So um, in the clinical setting, there are people who like would do cardiac rehab if someone in your family had like a heart attack, but in a research setting, there are the nerds sitting in the lab, making people do exercise tests, pushing them <laughs> to the limits and um, asking you know, crazy questions to try to figure out what the heck goes on in our body when we do X, Y, and Z. Nice. Love it. So let me ask you this. How did you get into this line of work? So I grew up and I always kind of like tell the cheesy story and my pages and all that stuff about how like I just really fell in love with exercise growing up. I mean, I, I played sports and so I found that fitness was a really good way to like make yourself better at things. And so it was, an, it was a tool that I could change, right? And I could use. And I just somewhere along the line really just fell in love with the potential of the human body and what we're capable of doing. And like I really wanted to like use my life's work to spread that joy to others. And so I went to college and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was going to do architecture, then business. And then I ended up switching colleges last minute. And the really good program at that school was health sciences. So I was like, whatever, I'll do it, whatever. Like, so I just went into a generic health science track and I went in the first day and I was like, I'm going to be an exercise physiologist. And what I thought that was at the time was some elite Nike pro trainer that I was like, idolized. She went to school for exercise physiology, basically had an undergrad degree in exercise science, but I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Cause I want to be an elite Nike trainer. Like that was the goal. Um, and so I went to college and I was playing lacrosse and shortly after, you know, being in college for a year. Or so I realized I was a lot better at school than I was sports. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was doing really well in my science classes and something that I really resented growing up was like science and math. Cause I just didn't think I was smart at it, but I was doing really well in those classes and I was nerding out and I was excited and I just, I got so fascinated with the human body. And so I kind of stumbled into research my junior year. I was doing really well in science. I was like really into it. And my advisor recognized that. And he's like, hey, I think you should do research. And so at the time I had walked away from lacrosse, but training for lacrosse my whole life brought the exercise component to me, like training for sports and performance and health and like all that. And then I kind of combined that then with the science when I was in my uh, undergrad degree. And then I got into research my junior year and pretty much never looked back. I kind of decided then I was like, I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to get my PhD in this. Like I want to learn as much as I can. Um, and so it kind of just evolved from being like an athlete into kind of just accidentally becoming a super big nerd. And then it was like, okay, well, I really genuinely want to go out there and learn as much as I can. And then I can use that to help others. So that's kind of been my ultimate goal this whole time. Um, yeah. So that path has morphed as I've gone along the way, but really like, I love to learn. I love exercise. I like combining those things together and I want to use those tools to help others. So I kind of just kept following that main goal and it's landed me here. Love that. Love that. And I bet there's not a lot of people out there who are exercise nerds in a lab sharing that information on social media. No. And that's a really cool thing. So I'm yeah. straddling the science communication community or SciComm. And then the fitness industry with being like really into fitness and training and health. And so something I'm really passionate about and my advisor, Dr. Jenkins is amazing. And you guys can follow him on Instagram too, gains by Dr. J. Um, he's great to learn from. And he's really big about that too. Like we're, our lab is very much so trying to bring translation from like your typical nerdy exercise scientist who sits in a lab and doesn't really work out versus your gym bro. Who's really, really trained in fitness, but doesn't really know the science behind it. And we're really big and passionate about, bridging that gap. That's something that I really want to do with my career is bridge that gap between those two things. Um, so it's a weird place to be, but it's, it's, it's exciting because I really think people want more evidence-based fitness and like who better to be providing that than the people in the labs, reading the books, like doing the experiments, yeah. right? So, yeah. Absolutely. I don't, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think that that's a weird place to be. I think that's an amazing place to be. I think that is a gap that needs bridging. So fantastic. Yes. Yes. And I have to say, I think it's fantastic that a woman is the one doing that. I think that is fantastic. Yeah. When you look at the, the big name exercise scientists in the field, I respect them. I look up to them a lot, but there really aren't many women up there. And so like, I'd be lying if I said one of my trailblazing things I want to do in my career is like be up there and be considered that and like do the work in the lab and you know what I mean? Like yeah. in that sphere and be like, hey, like girls, you can be smart and strong and fast and badass and do all these things. And like you have a seat up here, like this is for you. So love that. That is fantastic. So Alyssa, I know we talked about this a little bit. So as part, a big part of my personal story, just how my life 
evolved is that I fell prey to so much bad information about diet and exercise. You know, pretty much all of my 20s, all of my 30s, you know, if there was bad (coughs) information out there, I knew about it and I believed it and I tried it. And that's where my passion comes from in teaching correct principles and kind of outing BS and helping women in particular get stronger, have a better relationship with food in a way that is realistic and based on evidence. Mm-hmm. So I want to read something to you. And I think it's going to sound super familiar because, well, you wrote it and um, you posted this last week. It says, at the beginning of 2019, I declared it the year of evidence-based fitness and nutrition that women are finally sick of starvation diets masked as health from undereducated people and crappy fitness routines by self-declared, uncertified, uneducated coaches. That's in air quotes. <laughs> this is the hill I will die on. I am an advocate through and through for women to finally freaking eat and train with intention and an intention beyond food restriction out of life crippling fear of fat gain and crappy workouts at the false of promise of fixing our flaws. Where does that passion come from? So I, I don't know how this kind of evolved because I've always been a girl kind of among dudes. Like I've always been kind of a bro, but just in the last few years, and especially like as I got into strength training and science, like I, there wasn't a lot of women around me, right? Doing this. And I wanted to like, I, I, and I was like, well, why, why isn't this there? And one of the biggest things is there's not women doing more strength training and ultra marathons and all these crazy important things because they're just spending their entire life worrying about their body weight, their body size, like correcting themselves, fixing themselves, not being perfect. And I was like, holy crap, like the women are literally restricting themselves from living their life to the fullest because of this crippling fear of eating too much or having to move a certain way to fit a certain ideal. And I wanted to really shatter that. Like that's something that I'm so passionate about. And I started working with women and I mentor women and I do research on women. And I was just talking to women and I'm like, noticing these trends and these patterns of what's kind of like shackling them in their lives. And it's just this, this diet industry, poor educated fitness industry, constantly using these manipulative tools of diet and fitness to further like push this agenda that women need fixing or they're not fine as they are and they need to improve themselves and they're, they, they, have, they have flaws that need corrected. And this is my solution for your flaws. And I just, I kind of think it's BS. Like, I just think that women deserve better than that. They've been deserved better than what they've been sold for the last, I don't what, 30, 40, 50 years now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just, I'm a big loud person. I'm not afraid, of, you know, <laughs> I I'm love not that. afraid to speak my mind and I'm like, women need an advocate and they need a kid that is evidence-based, right? Yeah. So, so there's plenty of new coaches out there doing great things, but I was like, who's here to, there's not a woman for the women. There, there is, but like they need more of that. Yes. They absolutely need more of that. And I love that you're going to be part of that. So it's <laughs> funny that you said you're a big loud voice because your business name is little list fitness. So yes. are you, are you super, super short? I am five one. I am okay. a tiny tot. So my, my page used to be Littlest Lifts and I changed it last March to Littlest Fitness when I started my business. Um, but I used to power lift and be really strong. So it was just called Littlest Lifts and I was just this little beefcake girl lifting really heavy weights. Um, but when I rerouted to niche a little bit more, I changed it to Littlest Fitness and that's where I started to make more of the shift of towards science and girl power, if you want to call it that, and like debunking and like I kind of rerouted things from, because I stopped lifting quite as much when I started running more. And I was like, well, that's not just me anymore. Like I'm more than that. So um, yeah, that's where that came from. It used to be littlest lifts. Got it. Got it. So let's talk about this then. People are out there. They're seeing information. I'm going to give an example, but this is literally just an example. And I'd kind of like you to talk us through how a person could approach this to apply it generally. So yeah. let's say somebody stumbles across this article, post, whatever, saying green coffee bean extract, that is the key to fat loss. How can a person look at that and decide, okay, that's legit or that's not legit? So obviously sometimes when you're reading an article or blog or post, you can't always talk to that person directly, but I encourage people to ask how. First ask how. How is that possible or feasible? Because I think a lot of people, they just see a title they see a blog or a post or whatever, and they just take it at face value because they either trust the person because um, they're abusing their credentials or they're someone who's just using their appearance, as bad as that sounds, or expertise mm. to weigh on, well, I'm saying this, so it must be true. And 
I, I encourage everyone to be skeptical about everything they say, including things that I say in post, right? Like I want people yeah. that look through things through a critical lens. So I almost want my community and people to do what I train my students to do. So instead of when my students ask me something in class when I'm teaching and they're like, why does, like when we talk about the substrate utilization lab, they ask me all these diet questions. I mean, instead of me just telling them how things work or how they don't work, I ask them, well, why do you think that would work? What do you think the mechanisms that's changing? Why do you think that's possible? So I encourage people to look through this lens of skepticism of first asking how. So how would that even do that? And then why would that then be the solution to that? So how would coffee bring, green bean or green coffee extract, green bean coffee extract? That's like, <laughs> like my diet. You have a new diet. <laughs> so how would that work? And most people, I mean, they don't understand science enough to think about that, but then, okay, how? And if we knew that it worked and it was effective and how, why would it be suddenly like this big secret being exposed, right? So if it's not big enough mainstream that it's actually being used as like some sort of legitimate and valid like intervention for weight gain or weight loss or muscle gain or whatever people are advertising it as, then it's probably scam because if something's that effective, the medical doctor is going to be using it. Exercise scientists are going to be using it. Like there's going to be a bigger wave to it than it being like this tip top secret kind of thing. Mm. So how would that work? And then usually if you just, I encourage people to to trust that they're smart enough to know, to, to be able to interpret the th these things. Cause I think a lot of people, they're like, well, I know nothing about fitness and nutrition, so I'm dumb and I don't know anything. And you're, you, I mean, you're smarter than you think you are. So how, well, if it's a, like, does coffee, drinking coffee or green beans or green coffee extract magically make weight shed? Likely not. Right. We've all probably been consuming caffeinated beverages our entire life and we're all not walking around at 10% body fat. So logically it doesn't just doesn't add up. And then, um, asking, well, why would it work? And usually for things like that, um, it's hard because it's just like some sort of like you're ingesting something kind of thing, but there's a placebo effect where people say they start taking a product and they want it to work, right? Like subconsciously, we want this to work. We want this to be the easy solution. So why would that work? So that would work because people are probably changing something else along with it, right? So the why is coming from somewhere else. So this is a big thing when you talk about like restriction diets, especially. So when people are like, removing carbohydrates is a magical solution or removing fats are a magical solution or eating only whole foods is a magical solution. So why would that work? Well, what else are you removing? What else are you changing? What else is being affected by that choice? So there's always more, there's always a cascading effect. So even if people are just drinking like this coffee extract in the mornings, they're usually going to be making some sort of subconscious other healthy choices along that because they're trying to be healthier, right? Because that makes them feel good because they're ingesting that drink in the morning and they're like, oh, I'm a healthy person because I ingested this. So then they make a better breakfast choice or they take a walk more or they, you know, they start improving their fitness routine. So they, there's usually those like, it's called habit stacking from the book James Clear from Atomic Habits. And so you do one habit and then you stack another habit on top of it. And people almost subconsciously do that when they start taking some sort of product that actually doesn't have any validity, but then they start, they use it as a cascade to start changing other things in their life. So yeah. I know that kind of was a long tangent, but I always, no, it, not at all. yeah, but I always ask how and always ask why. And if you're actually asking a person who like doesn't know what they're talking about in person that you can usually watch them kind of backtrack. Like if you just like start asking how and why, like if people just start commenting on like Fitzko's post, how, why, 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 like a five-year-old, eventually you're going to realize they're going to unravel. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So if you can, if that person cannot give you a valid explanation of why they're suggesting you do something other than just trust me or it works yeah. or it's worked for me, then like, okay, red flag, red flag, red flag. Don't do that. And honestly, the rule of thumb is if it's shared by like something, if it's something your aunt would share on Facebook, then just like automatically assume that it's fraudulent. <laughs> <laughs> I like that rule. And I really like how you just said, if you ask and the answer is just trust me or it worked for me, that that's a big red flag. That's not enough. Absolutely. That's not enough. So, you know, you kind of uh, started to mention this and this is a big uh, trap that I fell into. If something is being promoted as like, this is truth, like, sugar is addictive and a doctor is saying it. I always found it really hard to like, okay, well, but it's a doctor. And I know people fall into that trap of, but that's a doctor. Why is that not valid? So yeah. me yeah. and my, my friend, Amanda Howell Health, you can follow her on here too. She and I have these conversations all the time and I don't want to discredit medical doctors because they are amazing at what they do, but they, unless they're in certain like, um, focuses as they go through their education, they don't get a lot of education on nutrition, right? They get a ton of physiology and biochemistry. I will never discount that. 
but they don't get a lot of specific nutritional or exercise education. So you have to almost be more skeptical if people are using uh, MD to qualify them as being an expert at something. It'd be almost like me saying like, I'm an expert in neurobiology, right? Because mm-hmm. I have a PhD. It's just, it's different. It's different niches. It's different specificities. Like I don't give out physical therapy recommendations, even though my career is super close to physical therapy, right? Like yeah. they are sister and brother subjects and majors, but I just, that's, it's just one step beyond what I'm comfortable with doing and knowing. And even though I can like give some general vague advice, I usually just outsource people to my friends that do do that. And so that's the unfortunate thing is people really trust doctors for, and doctors are great at what they do. Like I'm going to go to a doctor 10 out of 10 for anything medically related, Mm -hmm. but they, it's really easy, especially in the media for them. If they write a book to then leverage the fact, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. But unfortunately that doesn't always hold validity on to people who like research this for a living or are dietitians that study nutrition specifically for their uh, careers and things like that. So it's, it's hard because it sounds like I'm discrediting medical professionals, but I think it's just a matter of staying in their niche, in their lane, and that a lot of people don't because it's really like when I get my PhD in three years, I could abuse the crap out of that. Like I could mm-hmm. leverage that and use it for a lot of things and manipulate people and be really, really scammy. And people would be like, well, she has a PhD, so I, so I trust her, right? Um, so it's kind of up. That's where I also encourage people to be skeptical, right? Be skeptical about what I say. Be skeptical about yeah. whatever every PhD and MD and medical professional says on the internet, like, are other people that are also really smart saying the same thing? Is that's a good what, question. That's, that's what a I, good question. Yeah, and that's what I usually encourage people to ask. So you see, I get down the rabbit hole of like nutrition fighting on Twitter and Instagram all the time. <laughs> like I like to see how really smart people articulate themselves in those circumstances. But when I'm unsure about an opinion, I'm like, well, what are the people that are the leading experts in this field saying? What is the trend of what they're saying, right? Yes. Usually, there's, you're going to see that the big names in the field, Lane Norton, Zoe Fit, like you, uh, Syed, Brett Contreras, like all those people, like the RP people, all those people in the exercise field, they all kind of are saying the same thing. There's not that much like drastic degrees of freedom in what they're saying when it comes to like implementing lifestyle changes to improve your health, fitness, and like body composition. When you yeah. go outside of that circle, you get these doctors or these like fitspos and they say these really flashy claims. They can't answer how or why, or they use faulty science because they rely on the fact that they don't think you're smart enough to know the difference. They don't, they think you're dumb, right? So they're telling you these things because they think you're dumb and they want to capitalize on that. And so get mad, get mad that these people think that you're stupid and say, Hey, you're not saying what 99% of the other people are saying. So like, I'm not, I don't like, I'm not going to listen to you. Like, you're prying on something like you're, you're banking on the fact that I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to go investigate what other professionals are saying and see what is the trend. Like do your own, that's the best way to do your own research. Don't just get mm-hmm. an N of one, like say, okay, there's a hundred people that I follow on Instagram. 89 of them are saying this, but 10 of them are saying this. Mm-hmm. Why are the 89 saying this, but the 10 saying this, where is that coming from? So And I love that you're even saying like, hey, question what I'm saying. Just because you follow me and I'm getting my PhD doesn't mean you should blindly believe me. Like question everybody, even question me. Yeah, absolutely. Like as a scientist, like I admit that my views on fitness, nutrition, and health, especially as I've gone through school, they have changed. And I don't agree with some of the things I felt a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And like that's also an indication on if someone is – like not scamming you or not is if they're willing to admit when they're wrong, they're willing to refer you to someone else or they're willing to say, Hey, my opinion has changed due to this new data or yes, yes. this discovery or like just the trends. Cause science doesn't, doesn't tell you absolutes. It removes uncertainty. Right? So as we learn more, we become more like sure of what we know, but it's really just become less uncertain. And so anyone who's doing the work and actually is not trying to scam you, you're going to notice them shift in fluidity with things over time and be more transparent and honest rather than saying everyone else is a scam. Science is a lie. This is the truth. Usually like if people say stuff like that, then they're usually just trying to like sell something, something. as bad as that sounds. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So going along with that. So we have people believing it because a doctor says it. The other trap that I used to fall into all the time is I would hear somebody say something. They'd be like, well, there was this study. And I'm like, well, if there was a scientific study, clearly it's true. So what about that? What if somebody's like, you know what? Sugar is addictive. And here's the study that shows you why. So 
it's hard because I want science to be for the public, but a lot of the public isn't trained on how to read science correctly. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for an everyday person to see one study and be like, oh, there's a study on it. So it must be true and not understanding how like doing a literature review works or how like you need multiple studies to come to a, like a general conclusion of the trend of which literature is like insinuating is like what's happening. So it's not ever going to be one study. One study is going to be interesting and awesome. And sometimes you get with that one really study that's a huge breakthrough, but one study is just a piece of the bigger puzzle. Um, and if you're going to look at these studies people are referencing, you want to look at their methods. Does it, did they control for certain factors? Are they actually like, does it look like they like just, you know, free willied it, but you might not be able to understand that if you haven't like done science firsthand, which is okay. But a lot of people, they read the abstract or the conclusion statement, but they, those can say anything if you can't interpret data as and figure. So I would always, if you're using a single study, there should always be like references to other studies that have done the same thing. Or the best thing really is meta-analyses or review papers. Like that's anything that I generally share um, on my page, especially like I either know because I've read like 10, 20, 30 plus papers on it. Um, or I've used a meta-analysis or a view paper or something like that. Which Tell people what that is. Yeah. So meta-analyses are basically if you take uh, Google Scholar or PubMed, which is where like most of the most common literature for uh, biomedical science and stuff like that is located in. It's just a big online like Google search for research. And if you went through, we're, we're writing one in our lab right now. So I had to do this. It was really exhaustive. You have to go through and put in every key term that could possibly relate to any study that would be answering the question of what you're looking at. So I'll give the example of the one that we're doing in our lab is we're looking at the effects of prior exercise on post-meal fat oxidation or how people metabolize fat like after an exercise bout, either the next day or right after. So we wanted to look at the, all the literature in the world that answered that question. So I spent like nine hours one day going through every single scientific article that possibly answer this and concising it into a database and then my lab mates both did that so all three of us did that to make sure we got every single paper in like google scholar and pubmed that possibly show told us okay what does prior exercise do on post-meal fat metabolism that's what we wanted to know and so we found like every paper that possibly exists on that topic and then what you do with that is you go through every single one of those papers results and you find something called the effect size or like how effective for the common person to think like that treatment was at changing whatever you're looking for. And you average that all out and then you find like the, the, the trend or where like all the literature itself is pushing towards in that trend. So that tells you not just what one study did, but hey, this is what everything we know in scientific literature on this topic, this is what it says. And so that's what a meta-analysis is. And that's one of the most valid, um, tools of like scientific uh what's the word scientific validity and like it's using something to back your claims up because it's saying like this isn't just one study this is multiple studies this is every study out there and this is what it says currently right now until more data comes out right because there's always going to be more mm -hmm. data mm -hmm. but it's yeah it's giving you like the general consensus of what everything is saying so that's why it's more valid than just one study because like i said a, one study is like a little little tiny piece of the puzzle being a grad school is great because the work you do literally is just like such a minuscule addition to like this big sea of research mm -hmm. um but meta-analyses are great because they're they're just taking all that work and saying hey this instead of going and reading 50 papers here's what they say here's the trend of what they're we're telling you and then review papers are kind of similar to meta-analyses but it's where like someone will go through and they'll write more of a like a story of like what's going on, what the trends are in regards to a topic in the literature and like a review of the literature and they'll reference papers and talk about what they said and how they did it. Um, so they're pretty similar. And that's where like a lot of kind of, like I said, science isn't truth, but that's like usually when something is pretty concrete and it's found in a bunch of meta-analyses or reviews or things like that, it's kind of like, hey, this is what we know and it's pretty much true, like to the capacity of what we have an idea of going on. So I think the take home point for people, because, you know, realistically speaking, guys, I know you're not going to go out there and get on PubMed and do what Alyssa does in her lab, right? But no. the take home point here is if somebody is making a claim and they say, hey, I have a study, what you want to keep in mind is what is the body of research saying? Is there more than just this one study? Just that because the person has a single study does not make it truth. Yes, that's a much more simplified version, but I definitely wanted 
Sorry, no, that was I, so I, long I winded. Your version. But I wanted people to understand how that works, like what yeah. it looks like when a scientist does that, instead of just saying like, well, how's that different than one study? They're both only one paper. So it's a paper of a bunch of papers versus just like one experiment. So yes. always keep that in mind. Yes. I'm super glad you explained that to people. I think it's going to really help so that they're like, okay, this is, this is what to look for. So let's talk some more about some red flags. You did a post about this. I don't know when it was. Um, I was looking about basically like if a person is saying or doing these things, like that's not good. This is not a person to listen to. So what are some of the things that come to your mind? I have a big list of them here for you. If you'd rather have me just read a couple out and you can kind of jam. Go on. ahead. Yeah, go ahead yeah. and tell, tell me what you got. All right. This, the, okay. This is some of the things you said. If a person says the words detox, cleanse, toxins ever come out of their mouth. Talk about that. So people have this obsession with thinking that they need to like cleanse their system. And it's funny because I wonder if people would ever think that if there wasn't like propagated in the fitness sphere, mm -hmm. right? But why do you feel like your body is dirty? Why do you feel like your body is unhealthy? Because the reality is your body does a pretty good job at cleaning itself out if you want to think of it as that. Um, of course, nutrition and exercise can support those systems and enhance them, which is why we encourage people to like, you know, eat well-rounded diets, move their body, but you have livers and kidney and skin and like digestive tract and you go to the bathroom. So your body's constantly like in this process, like it wants to keep you alive, right? People can treat their body really crappy and it's going to pretty much keep it, keep you alive and do what it can to do that. And so your body detoxes you for you. Your body cleanses you for you. So you don't need to be doing these things, but usually the stuff that they're giving you to do just doesn't physiologically make sense. And a lot of it, like if the, the teas and the drinks, like they don't even make it far enough into your digestive tract or like, aren't even like, di like, I don't trying to think of a non-scientific word to say it, but bioavailable. <laughs> so they're not like, they're going to just get torn to shreds in your stomach or they're never going to make it in your bloodstream. And they're not even going to be able to do like what they're claiming to do by the time they reach that part of your body or digestive system. Um, so it's generally just people using it as a marketing ploy because it makes mm -hmm. you feel good about yourself. Um, yeah. or just like I said, what else are you doing or what are you not doing anymore when you do these things, right? If you eat like fast food, processed food, no fiber, no vegetables, no protein as your normal diet, and you go on a juice cleanse, mm -hmm. you're going to feel better because you're, you're <laughs> actually hydrated and you're hopefully consuming some fiber and some nutrients. So like, of course you're going to feel better, but it wasn't the juice cleanse that did that. It was just like, you would feel just as good if you were just adding more vegetables and water into your diet and things like that. So I, I, I understand where people come from when they want this. Like if I have a weekend where I don't eat very well and I'm get poor sleep and I wasn't really moving, like I, I wish cleanses and detoxes were real, right? <laughs> Like, I, I wish I could take like a pipe cleaner to my body and just like, <laughs> but, clean it out. but that's just like, if you just go back to what you're normally doing and you're eating enough vegetables and hydrating your body, like in sleeping adequately, you're going to feel just as good, if not better than if you do this weird low calorie juice tea, like, I don't even know what they market anymore for this. It's so absurd. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Next red flag. If a person claims that one food, one thing, one product will kill you, cause cancer, or poor health. So I found the post up, so I know what you're talking about now. Um, oh, you know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, now I know. I have so many posts now. Um, so <laughs> people really, really want to hyper-focus on one, one thing. They, I mean, people just want like one little answer to fix their, all of their problems, and unfortunately, it's never going to be just one thing. And so when it comes to looking at your fitness or diet or health, you need to look at the whole picture, right? People are going to say, Carbs are going to kill you. Sugar will kill you. Um, saturated fat will kill you. Like fiber is apparently bad nowadays. Like they're going to say every one thing on its own is bad for you, but that completely ignores the full picture of what the rest of your diet, life, habits, movement patterns, sleep patterns, stress management looks like. It's just, it's too much of a narrow-minded view of what health is, right? Or what a proper diet is or proper nutrition. Like it has to be a whole picture. And I think it's hard for people to view it as a whole picture because that usually means that like they're responsible for actually changing their lifestyle and behavior and it's a hard pill to swallow saying oh wow i'm responsible for all these things and this is my health versus saying oh well i'm going to be 100 percent healthy if i just remove this one food it's it's so much easier to just correct one thing than having to know that okay crap this is a full lifestyle makeover that's going to take six months to a year to make like any effect 
versus saying, oh, I can remove that on Tuesday and feel great by Wednesday kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. And going along with that, your next point is, next red flag is bonus points if the person is then selling you something to cure (laughs) what they're making you fearful of. So they tell you it's this one thing and then they're selling you something that can help with that one thing. Yeah, they're saying this ingredient or this property of this food or this property of like, people do it in like house and lifestyle products now, but they're like, but my company does this. And they're like, oh, well, it's kind of like with the the doctors who have the, the books about nutrition yeah. Who like are selling you their nutritional style of eating, but they also have like book sales to make kind of thing. So you yeah. always have to look what people are like pushing, right? Like what are they trying to sell you? So um, if they're telling you that an ingredient in your skincare causes you cancer, but then they just happen to work for a company <laughs> that has, you know, the, the best skincare in the, in the market on the line that, that prevents cancer, then like, eh, yeah. okay, well, it benefits you to make that claim. And make those skepticisms with me and everyone else too, right? Like do the same thing for, treat everyone the same way when they're making those claims, especially if people always have, everyone has something to sell you nowadays, right? So like- Absolutely. So then also going along with the idea that they're claiming one thing will kill you, that one thing is gonna fix your problem. Yes. So. Every, yeah. And everyone knows that everyone wants one simple, quick solution. So they buy it. Yeah. Because it, it sounds nice. It does sound nice. It does sound nice. And then also kind of going along with all of that is if they're using fear to sell their diet, their plan, their product, their workout, if fear is how they're going, that that's not a credible way either. So, so another red flag is if they're using fear to sell their diet, their workout, or their plan. Yes. So I really hate that people know people are either afraid of something or they're insecure about something. And then they use that as a marketing tool to, cause it's going to evoke emotion and you're more likely to make a purchase or do something out of a state of emotion. Right. And so most people, they don't think of like their health 10 years from now when it comes to changing like their sleep and they're eating their exercise. But if someone says, hey, this one singular thing is going to give you cancer immediately, you freak out, right? Like no one wants cancer or no one wants to like get type 2 diabetes instantly from eating one product or like everyone's so afraid of gaining weight that they think, well, if this one thing is going to do that, then oh my gosh, I can't do that or the reverse of it. So um, people will use those the underlying fears we all have to make their product sound better than it is because it's the mm-hmm. promise, it's the solution, it's the golden light, it's, you know, it's the... What you've been waiting for for all these years. Just give me thirty dollars, and I promise it will fix everything. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big one. I think those are some really good red flags. I think if people can kind of take that checklist and go through it and be like, okay, this meets any of those criteria. Moving on. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a really solid plan. So another thing you posted about recently yeah. that I just I really loved was a way for a person to look at a diet and then ask themselves some questions because you know often people will reach out to you and I know people reach out to me and they're like, what do you think about, what do you think about Whole30? Um, what do you think about keto? Is that gonna work for me? And so this post you did, you had five steps that would help them, five questions they could ask themselves for them to evaluate a diet. So let's talk about those. Yeah. Uh, um, what's the first one? So the first one is, does this diet let me eat foods I actually enjoy? And so people, diet culture, I guess if you want to call it like that, like fitness culture has this idea in people's minds that like a diet can only include foods you don't like or like miserable foods or it's restrictive and punishing. And so people like almost are like, they think that's the solution, but you have permission to eat foods you actually enjoy in a diet. I know that seems so ludicrous, but you have a say, (laughs) like you have a say, right? Like you have a say to say like, Hey, I really like this food and I don't want to go the next 80 years of my life never eating this food again. And you can have a diet. And when I talk about diet, I mean like style of eating. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a calorie deficit for weight loss. I think people always think of diet in that word. But when I talk about diet, I just mean like the way you feed your body every day. And so you can have food you enjoy 
in a diet, in a healthy diet, right? Of course, like you're going to have to modify some things, or maybe if you eat ice cream four meals a day, every day, seven days a week, you might have to like, mm-hmm. you know, dial it back, but you can still eat ice cream on your diet. So like you can still eat food you, you enjoy and you like, and you can say, Hey, I like carrots over broccoli and like eat carrots and never eat broccoli in your life. Like you won't die. So you can, you can have a say like, Hey, these are the foods I like. How can I make these fit into a style of eating that also aligns with my goals, but also is enjoyable? Because every like a, you're not going to be happy if you're eating something that like isn't enjoyable. So I eat really healthy, but I don't eat foods that are con- traditionally healthy to other people because I don't enjoy them. But I eat healthy, quote unquote, foods in the way that I personally like enjoy to eat. And- okay, so question number one, does this diet let me eat foods I actually enjoy? Tell us question number two. Okay, so question two is, does this approach to eating seem to be something that I can enjoy and adhere to long-term? And so people are willing to do anything if it works because we're just so desperate for something to finally work because we always think we're broken and we need to fix it. And so they're like, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But humans are messy and we're complicated and we have busy lives. And so we need to find something that is realistic for you to do, not just for a week. Anyone can grit through something for a week or a day. You need something that you're like, could I actually eat like this a year from now and be happy? Could I actually do this five years from now? Like, is it actually correcting the underlying behavioral like issues that I need to correct? Or is it just putting a bandaid on it for two weeks while I grit through and then say, screw it, I can't do this. This isn't realistic. It isn't sustainable. So you need to make sure that it's something that you can stick to long-term. So I hate to, I, I'm not hating on the keto diet or anything, but for some people that's really restrictive and they can never stick to it. But for some people that they actually love it and they're like, mm-hmm. I could do this every day for the rest of my life and be perfectly happy. And like, I have no problem with those people at all. It's like, that's fine. If that works for you, like I, whatever, that's fine. But for the people who think like that's the solution or veganism is a solution or whole 30 or infant fits your macros or like time restricted eating, whatever it is, they're like, oh, well, it works for these people. So it should work for me. And it might not like it, it might just not. So you have to ask yourself, could I be eating this way when I'm 80 and still be just as happy? And if the answer yeah. is no, then you should probably find a better way to eat because your, your life doesn't need to center around the style of eating that you have. Yeah. I love that. Like molding a diet for your life versus trying to squish yourself into a diet that just doesn't work for you. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Tell us question number three. So if this is not something I could adhere to long-term, what is my exit plan? So sometimes people do use like interventions short-term, other specific modalities. So if they want to do Whole30 for a month to see if they can do it, that's fine. You want to try to use X, Y, or Z to quote unquote, jumpstart your, your, your fat loss or whatever people do. And if you really feel like that's the best choice for you, like, I can't tell you you're wrong, but what is your plan when you're done? What are you going to do? Are you going to go right back to your normal style of eating that was causing, you know, the issue that you identified prior to that? Or are you going to have an exit plan of, okay, once I'm done with this 30 days or once I'm done with this, what is my plan after? And unfortunately for most of those short term quick fix or 30 day resets or 21 day cleanses or whatever they are, they don't give you a long-term solution. They give you a temporary fix that is like, like I said, a bandage to your problem. But then all of those underlying problems you're having before, they're still there. They're still going to be there when you finish. So if you want to do those things and try it, that's fine. But you you have to have an exit plan or it's just going to be another failed diet that you tried once. Yeah. I have a, I, I lived that one very hard. I did Nutrisystem back in the day and I lost a lot of weight, but one day I woke up and in my mind, I was only about 10 pounds from my goal weight anyway, which that was not realistic, but I kind of thought I was. And I'm like, I woke up one day and I'm like, I literally can't eat another box of this food. And I was like, all right, it's okay. I'm just going to take what I've learned and I'm going to kind of do this on my own. And I ended up in tears very soon thereafter because I realized I had learned nothing. Like I didn't know anything. I had no idea what to do to keep losing weight. All I knew is I would open my cupboard and pull out a little red box and pick like which one I wanted to eat for that meal. And I had, and I gained back 20 pounds in months because yep. I, ha- I had not at all learned how to adjust my diet and the foods I cooked. I didn't know anything about calories. I didn't, I didn't know anything. Yep. And that's why I think it's not, you need something that is going to educate you on nutrition and your hunger satiety and listening to your body and trusting yourself. And like, no, cause if you don't have your prepackaged food or your pre-bottled shake and you're at a birthday party or you're on vacation, then what skills or tools do you have in your toolbox? You just, you don't know what to do. You don't, you, you, your, your quick fix diet gives you no true tangible like tools for your life. It just is a temporary solution to a long-term problem. 
Absolutely. And I find this exit plan one super important for people who do want to do keto and know they're not going to like live that way forever. Um, I have had so many people reach out to me saying, I lost all this weight. I've gained it all back. And I'll say like, all right, well, what are you thinking? And they're like, I think I need to do keto again because it worked. And I'm like, all right, well, first of all, did it really work? Because here you are. And the advice I always give them is if you're going to do it before you do it, you need an exit plan. So you don't end up right back here. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people too, they think diets work because in that short term, they do work. But the success of your diet actually is more like, how did that affect you long-term? Did it actually, like it's, I, and I hate the before and after picture mentality of fitness industry where they don't show you what happened after. Yeah, that person's, that person's challenge or that cleanse or whatever. Yeah, it's going to work in those 30 days, but that doesn't actually mean it was successful because if you failed three, six, nine months after, and then, then it failed you. You didn't fail at that diet, it failed you. It failed you. And that's a really good way to look at it because so many people come to me feeling like just the biggest failures because they keep dieting and they keep ending up where they started or worse. Yeah, exactly. So I like looking at it the way that these diets failed you, not you failed at them. Yes. All right. So question number four. Okay. So four is, will this diet correct my underlying behavior or lifestyle changes needed to elicit long-term success or are they just another short-term solution? So I kind of harp on this already a little bit, but the biggest thing with people, because I, I mean, I'm so ingrained in this by now and I just actually did a diet intervention study. And so, um, it's people, they don't need to be told what to eat or how to eat as much as they need to be told, like, how to navigate their food environment intelligently. That's what I like to call it with my clients, like intelligently navigating your food environment and recognizing that like our environment is set up for you to fail and our environment's going to make you want to eat these things. And these things are always available. And like, this is the smart way to approach this in a way that like honors what you want to eat, but also honors your goals. And like, it comes down so much more to those little, especially for women, like that mindset shift of how they Mm -hmm. approach food and eating more than it does what it's not about the food. I think a lot of people think it's about the food and it's not about the food as much as it is like our emotional relationship to it, our, our mental barriers with it, our past relationship with it, or just like our general lifestyle patterns and behaviors that aren't set up in a way to make it easy for us to change. And like, you have to modify your environment and like the things around you to make it easier. So those choices are already kind of pre-made for you rather than always relying on willpower. So it's cultivating those skills, which take a really long time and they're really slow and they're not instant, but they're more like successful on the long term than these 180 quick fix type things. Absolutely. Like what you just said, and then you're like, what's well, not, it's hard and it takes a long time and it's not instant. That's the reason people don't want to do any of those things, but those are the things that actually work. You know, when, yeah. and I just, I just tweeted about this yesterday that like our lives are set up. So we overeat and under move. And when we can start setting our lives up so that we eat moderately and move more, we're going to be way more successful. Absolutely. And I think people think that like, especially I'm sure they come to you and they come to me and they think that I have all this, the, the answers. And like in February, I was super stressed and my life was kind of a mess. And I had a big bag of candy in my desk for my students. That didn't go to my students. It went inside <laughs> my pie hole and I gained like five pounds and I was not walking enough. You know what I mean? And I felt yeah. really crappy because my environment was set to fail me. Right. I sat in my office. I didn't take the mid morning walks. I normally make myself take. I had candy in my desk. It was easily accessible. Like But now what do I keep in my office? I keep like vegetables and fruit in the fridge and I keep whole grain bagels and nut butter and like things that are like a more ideal solution to my hunger and keeping my energy up for work. But also like, I'm not going to overeat like the foods that I know that I'm going to overeat. I don't keep at my desk at work. Right. Like I, I, I just, it's not restrictive. I'm a big girl. I can go to the grocery store and get that any day of the week that I want. But if I keep it at my desk, I'm going to, that decision will be made for me before I even have the chance to make that decision for myself. A hundred percent right there with you. And I think people are like, oh, then that makes me weak if I can't have it there and not eat it. And in my mind, it just makes you smart. It just makes you smart. If I kept a bag of peanut M&Ms in my desk, I'd be toast. Oh my gosh. And, and there's like science to show that like, if you have a bowl of apples on your counter, you're more prone to eat an apple. If you have your Oreos on a black container on the top of your pantry shelf, you're going to be less prone to eat Oreos yes. than if they're open up on the counter. Like it's, it's not, it's, I talked about this a little bit in my Instagram story with how I approach my work. Cause I'm a really distracted person and I like love my phone and all that. I'm just, I'm an American, right? <laughs> it's all 
It's all about setting up your environment to enable success. And that's hard too, because a lot of people, their environment is their, like their spouse or their friends and their children. And you have to resist a little bit there. And that's where learning the appropriate tools of how to approach those situations is really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Instead of just gritting through and being like, I'm the lame I'm the loser. I don't like, this isn't fun, but like, being able to like approach it so you can still live your life and have that dynamic and ha- food isn't supposed to be enjoyable and movement is supposed to be enjoyable without feeling like it's always a uh, like grit your teeth and wait till it's over type thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So tell us the last question in this list of like, how can I tell if this diet is for me? Okay. So this is the kicker. This is the final one. Why this diet? Is the motivation different or is it only because it's new and you think it might finally work? And I think so many people, every time they start something like this, they're like, okay, this is it. I'm going to do this one. It's the last one. I'm done. Like, it's going to work. This is the solution. And usually, like I said before, it's not about the food. So like, I want people to ask themselves, why this one? Why do they generally think this one will work? And for some people, like I said, it really does. Some people do Whole30 or they do keto, or they do intermittent fasting, and they stick with it the rest of their life. They go, you know what, that actually makes logical sense for my life and how I eat and how I prefer to eat, that that makes sense, right? And so if that is your motivation, or you recognize, like you take the time to like think on it, okay, this actually makes sense for my life, this fits in, this aligns with how I like to eat, then yeah, okay, that's great. That might be a different motivation that might actually cause you long-term success versus, well, care not works at it it would work for them. Or like, I, I saw this article and I, it's really supposed to help kind of thing. It's just, yeah. the same, it's the same thing with a different label over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I think that checklist right there is really going to help a lot of people. I really do. That's fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> so let's totally switch gears here and let's talk about your training personally. What do you do? What do you love to do to train? So I am... I joke. My lab is, my, my PI is very into CrossFit and we joke that I do poor man's CrossFit, but in my own unique way, <laughs> like calling CrossFit, like mixing modalities of fitness, yeah. like in a way that isn't just like niched into one thing. And so I grew up running and playing lacrosse and I started lifting and weight training for sports growing up. And then once I quit lacrosse in college, as I talked about earlier on, um, I got really into weight training. And so I fell down this cascade of like getting really, really, really strong. And I was powerlifting and I did a couple co- powerlifting competitions and a strongman. And I like did a couple mutters and I just like, I niched myself into pure strength, right? I was super, super, super strong. Wait, tell us, tell us your maxes. Squat, so, bench, deadlift. At my very, very strongest in the middle of my masters, I deadlifted 400 pounds, I squatted 305 pounds, and I bench pressed 185 pounds. Like that was- Oh my gosh, wait a minute. At what body weight? Like 145 pounds. What? (laughs) I was was really, like I'm more so prone to be a strength athlete, absolutely for sure. Um, But so I was really strong. Like I got really, really, really strong. but I have this underlying ligament condition that causes my body to have a lot of like laxity and not support and causes me a lot of joint pain. And so lifting at that capacity, like five, six days a week was just too much for me. And I really missed being an athlete. Like I grew up an athlete. I love being able to just do a bunch of things. And, um, and so I started to like get a little bit more into running again and cross training. And I took this big trip out to Colorado in the middle of my masters. And I got my butt kicked by big mountain hiking and I felt so out of shape because my cardiovascular system just wasn't uh, trained for that anymore, right? Because I had niched myself so much into strength, which you have to do to be a lead at something, absolutely. And I just flipped a switch in me and I was like, no, I'm done. Like, I'm going like, to start like switching back gears. And so I started this like slow merge into this weird hybrid balance of running and lifting. That started for me just doing like really short little tiny runs during the week and taking hiking trips and like all this stuff to me doing a trail half marathon and then this big three week like trail running trip to doing a 25k and then now I'm running ultra marathons and still like maintaining a decent amount of strength. So I do this weird, I call it like beefcake ultra runner balance. Now how long Um, is an an ultra marathon? An ultra marathon is anything that is longer than a marathon is what it's defined as. And they okay. usually start at the 50K distance, which is about like every trail is different. So it's like anywhere from like 32 to 35 miles is usually an ultra. Um, and so I've never raced longer than a 50K. I'm currently registered for my fifth, first 50 miler that I'm hoping I'll make oh it to goodness. in September. Um, so now for the last about two years, maybe a little longer, maybe two and a half now, um, yeah, about two and a half years now, I've been doing this thing where I balance both long distance running and uh, still strength training. 
Um, and it's kind of become my niche, I guess, like Beefcake Ultra Runner is my thing. Um, and so, yeah, I ran two ultra marathons this year already. I ran two. What? Last- yeah. You've already ran- done two? Yeah, I just actually last month did what they call the toughest 50K in the U.S. It's called Quest for the Crest. I did that last month, about a month ago exactly almost, um, up in the Black Mountains in North Carolina. It has like 23,000 feet of vertical gain and loss over the course of 34, five miles. Um, so I did that oh, wow. last month. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a butt kicking. Um, I can't imagine it would be. Yeah, and then I did a uh, 27 miler, which is technically an ultra or a marathon, whatever you want to call it, um, in March as a training race for that. Wow. Well, that is most impressive. What do you love about it? So for me, I actually hate training for races. I know that sounds so silly, but a big reason I got into running and ultra running again was one, like I I work inside all day long. Like I'm at a computer, I'm sitting, people need me. Like I have students and clients and I love these people very dearly, but I need to like break away and going to the gym sometimes you're still with people or you're still inside. And I was like, I need something more. And I always grew up running. Like running was like my first love with fitness and I did like cross country and stuff growing up. And so I was like, I need something that removes me and I love nature. So I don't like running as much as I like being outdoors. So trail running was a set, an easy solution for me, but there's just so much mental grittiness and toughness that you're cultivating out there. We're so bad as a culture of being bored or being with our own thoughts or like not being distracted. And I'm someone who definitely falls in that category. So it forces me to like not be on my phone, not be responding to people, like not be distracted. And I, you just, you're in the woods for hours and hours and it's literally just you and like your brain and that's it in the trail. Yeah. And so it's very mentally healthy. It, I feel like it makes me grittier. It makes me better at my job. And it's really hard for me because I'm not very good at it compared to like strength training. So it challenges that aspect of me of like sucking at something and being hard, but doing it anyway. That's most impressive that you're doing it, even though it's not the thing that you naturally excel at. I find that really impressive Yeah, and and kind of shocking. We all kind of tend to like to do what we're good at. We do. And I wanted to do something a little more uncomfortable, especially being in my PhD. I mean, your PhD is just being uncomfortable every day. It's all you do. You're uncomfortable. (laughs) You feel stupid. You question yourself. Don't know what you're doing. Like imposter syndrome is rampant. And so I wanted something, I'm, I'm pretty good at most things that I do. I'm like, intuitive enough and I'm gritty enough and I'm stubborn enough to figure it out. Well, you can't change your natural physiology, right? Like I can't change the fact that I'm not going to be an elite runner, right? But I can still do it the hard thing just because it's hard and because I like it. You know, you don't have to be, I, I tell this to people all the time, you don't have to be good at things to enjoy them, right? But you're going to learn something about yourself a little bit more if, it's, if you suck. Because you're going to have to force yourself to show up anyway, and you can't use your ego to motivate you, mm-hmm. which is really hard for people to do. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is very – so you're spending the summer preparing for your race that you're hoping to do in the fall. Yeah. I have a little bit of an underlying foot injury I'm hoping to just work through, but um, I'm taking a trip. I'm taking a hiking trip next week, and then once I get back, I'm going to re-switch gears back to race training. And that my New Year's goal this year is to run a 50-miler, and I'm hoping I can do it. Um, and then I'm going to take some time off racing to focus on school for the that next like six to nine months. So I want to like it. kick that off the bucket list and then just focus all on school. All right. Well, so look, before we leave, let's do a quick speed round. Yes. Um, all right. Ready? Yes. Team dog, or team cat? Dog. Do you have a dog? I do not. Me and my boyfriend want one very badly, but school. <laughs> An- another time. Another time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. If you could live anywhere, where would you live? The mountains, Colorado, out west, Colorado or Utah for sure. Have you lived there before? No, but I've visited there a lot. That's where I'm going next week, and I need big mountains. My Which place are you going, Colorado or Utah? I'm going to Colorado. I'm going to Boulder. Um, okay. Yeah. I lived in Utah for a few years. I have family out there. Awesome. Beautiful. It's beautiful oh, out there. I love it. All right. A movie that never gets old. Oh, man. So I'm not a big repeater of movies. No? No. I usually just watch things once and then like watch something else so I don't actually I'm not a good I'm not good for that one no okay yeah what's what's the best movie you've seen recently do you even get time for that kind of thing do you make time for that we watch movies here and there but it's usually like not very often but I did watch the movie on uh oh gosh what's her name what's our the woman in the senate that uh crap I should know this (laughs) I don't know I have a total I have a total total brain fart. I can't remember her name. Um, she's 
one of our women in the Senate, and she did that whole big thing where she like pushed for women's rights with as I a don't know what Crap, I can't think of it. I would. I have don't to, know which movie that is. I can't. I don't know, but it was like the real life. Uh, you know what? I take back that. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! Why can't I think of any movie I've ever watched in my life before? <laughs> What's a movie? All right, we're gonna moving on. Moving on. <laughs> What's the best advice you've been given recently? So. My advisor earlier this week, I went into his office and he told, I was like freaking out about something. He's like, you're exactly where you're supposed to be confused, but what's direction? And that really hit hard home. Cause I Ooh. think that, yeah, so many people are confused. So they think that they're not making progress, but like confused, but with direction. And I was like, that's something I can get, like get on board with. Cause that's most of us, right? We don't, no one knows what the heck we're doing. I'm winging this all, but I have direction. I'm moving forward. I have momentum. And so I'm really big on that big messy action thing. And so he was like, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You're confused, but you have direction. And I was like, okay, that is great advice. Like just that one little one liner from your advisor that he probably didn't think was that meaningful, mm -hmm. like really impacted me for the rest of the day. I like that. And I have to tell you, all the smartest people I talk to always say they have no idea what they're doing, that they're just, like you said, messy action. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the thing. Like if you want to do big things, you just start doing things and you might not quite know what you're doing all the time, but you just keep doing them. No. <laughs> you keep putting stuff out in the world and eventually something sticks. And you exactly. Exactly. All right. Last question. And I'm going to give this a caveat. Uh, you cannot say the F word. What is your favorite word? Oh man. Everyone tries to say that. And after a while, I was like, okay, we need a new word. Any word but that. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I feel like I use the word attenuate when I'm writing because it makes me sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that one word as a grad student. I'm like, if I just throw the word attenuate into this paper, I'm going to sound really, really smart. You're going to find a way to slip that in. All right. I'm going to find a way to use that later today with my kids. Yes. <laughs> All right. So where can people find you if they're looking for you? So everything across the board is going to be Littlest Fitness. So Littlest Fitness on Instagram, um, littlestfitness.com, Littlest Fitness on Facebook. Um, I did just start my Instagram for my training programs, Littlest Method, but you can find that link in my bio. So if you just look up Littlest Fitness, um, the super teeny tiny blonde girl filled with sass, that is, the <laughs> page. That is me. Um, so that's across the board. That's where you can find me. Would you spell that for people? Yeah, L-I-T-T-L-E, little, list, L-Y-S-S, and then fitness, F-I-T and E-S-S. So my real full name is Alyssa Olenek, but people call me list primarily, so I, I stick with it. Love it. Okay, fantastic. Now everyone can find you. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing what you know with us. Yes, of course. I'm always happy to chat about, you know, all things debunking the BS. That's my favorite hobby, so... <laughs> Me too. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here and listening in to the Fitness Simplified podcast today. I hope you found it educational, motivational, inspirational, all the kinds of ational. <laughs> if you enjoyed it, if you found value in it, it would mean so much to me if you would go ahead and leave a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening to this on. It really does help to get this podcast to other people. Thanks so much. Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the Fitness Simplified podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. Okay, to say that I am super pumped about this episode is way underestimating how excited I am. So I spent so much time in my life following just the crappiest diet trends. If there was bad advice out there, I knew about it and I followed it. Actually sitting in front of me right now, I have this magazine. I couldn't help myself. Whenever I see it at the grocery store, I just, I get red in the face. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you what magazine it is, but it's one of the things that I used to really rely on. And it just seemed so credible. Even though the claims were wild, the way they formatted it made me think like, this must be true. I want to read you the headline. The fat just falls off. Yale discovery. Fix the GI glitch that stalls fat burn after age 50. Drop 16 pounds in five days. Well, that sounds amazing, right? So you open up the article and the article is all about this diet that has you figuring out which foods 
you are sensitive to that are keeping you from losing weight. And it talks you through this doctor's book about how to do that. You should totally buy his book, right? That's what it is. It's not about calories. It's all about these certain foods and how you can figure them out. And you're going to need to buy his book to figure that out. So interestingly, they actually say multiple times, it's you don't have to cut your portions. It's not about the calories. Then in a box at the bottom, it details like what a sample day might look like. And interestingly, you want to know what's in that box? It is mostly lean protein and vegetables and fruit. Hmm. I wonder if that could have anything to do with it. I wonder if it could have anything to do with the fact that you totally just reduced your calories by switching your diet from who knows what kind of crappy food you were eating to this diet of whole, nutritious, not calorie-dense food. Could that have anything to do with it? Okay, so it's so hard to evaluate claims like this. I know, like I said, I was there. So with me today, I have Alyssa Olenek. Alyssa is a... PhD student at the University of Georgia. She already has her master's degree in exercise physiology. I stumbled across her somehow on Instagram. I don't know how, but I was really interested in how passionate she was talking about fitness influencers with their swipe videos and their half truths and their half naked bodies and their super sexy claims, their diet claims that sounded amazing, but were really just nonsense. And I thought, who is this woman? And so I reached out to her and started talking to her, invited her on the podcast. And today she's going to talk you through a couple really important things. First, we talk about some red flags. What can you look at and think that should be a sign to me that I should not listen to this person? We also talk about how can you evaluate a claim? If you read something, hear something, watch something, how can you know in your mind, "Mm, that's probably not valid? Or, hey, maybe that has some validity to it. And then she talks you through five questions you can ask yourself if you're thinking about trying a certain diet. So if you want to try keto or you want to try flexible dieting or you want to try Whole30 and you're thinking like, is this diet going to work for me? Instead of messaging Alyssa or messaging me, which of course you can always do, but she talks you through five questions you can ask yourself to figure out like, might this be a great diet to help me? Okay, let's get into it. As you can tell, I'm super pumped. 